Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, sir, whoever you are. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. We have a really, really interesting topic today. It's always interesting on the Kinetic Enterprise, but this is something we have never, ever talked about in the three years I've been producing and hosting this show. We're talking about commodity trading and risk management. Just wrap your head around that. Now, let me give you the intro, and then I will have my three Deloitte and SAP thought leaders introduce themselves, and we'll get started. So when it comes to commodity trading, making the right decisions, and I'm putting air quotes if you eventually people will see this video. I'm making air quotes. Making the right decisions can seem a lot tougher these days, given ongoing supply chain disruptions. We all know about that. Energy prices, oh my. Cost pressures, uh uh-huh. Sustainability goals, we hope those are your goals, and other factors. Add to that disparate data sources and legacy IT into the mix, and the challenges just keep growing. Increasingly, leaders realize they need to integrate and standardize the systems that support their commodity trading. Why? To get closer to a single version of the truth. Such a move will be, can be, should be a business differentiator, allowing you, we're talking to our business listeners all around the world, allowing you to visualize a more unified landscape, identify opportunities for value, manage risks, and guess what? Move faster, because that's the pace of the world today. Listen to us today as Deloitte and SAP thought leaders share their insights on creating a built-to-evolve commodity trading ecosystem. Our conversation will explore the complexities of today's environment, from customer expectations to carbon trading. You're going to hear about the latest capabilities for commodity trading and risk management, CTRM, if you're looking for initials, and you'll find out how they can blend with a broader transformation journey, which is what we're always talking about here on the Kinetic Enterprise. They'll discuss some case studies, use cases, emerging trends, and key transformation considerations. For the video, even though we're not live streaming today, I want you to raise your hand and wave when I call you. Sam Stuckey is here with us today. Sam will introduce himself in a minute. We have Dean Stiles. Hello, Dean. And we have Trent Gall. And I'm going to be asking them very politely, but very forcefully for their insights on sparking an evolution in commodity trading and risk management. Wow, very, very hot topic. Shout out quickly to Hasmin Bolanos Flores at Deloitte for being our showrunner, our, our loyal, get everybody together, get the panel and get everything. And we have Rick Rivich with us today, and he's in the background cheering on my three panelists who are newcomers to the show. So let's get started. Sam Stuckey, you're up first. I'm putting you on speaker view. We'd love to hear who you are, what's your background, and what's your passion for this topic? Why are you here today? And what do you have to tell us? A little bit of an overview. Sam, welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, by way of introduction, um, my name is Sam Stuckey. I'm a managing director at Deloitte in our commodity trading practice. Um, and my passion for this topic is, frankly, I spent my entire career in commodities and commodity trading doing what I call um, trading transformation work. So that's supporting clients, both, you know, locally in the U.S. and internationally. Um doing everything from commercial and risk management strategy to operating model design, um, commercial performance measurement, 
organization structuring, process redesign, and last but certainly not least, uh, technology strategy and implementation. And during my career, I've seen massive evolution in the commodities business. Um, and I think we're on the verge of a, another inflection point and looking forward to talking about it today. Interesting. Thank you very much. And when we get to the roundtable, you're going to level set for us and define what is commodity trading. We'll talk about that. So if anybody's saying, what are they talking about? We'll get to it, but we want you to keep listening because we have some really interesting things to share today. Dean Stiles, welcome so much to the show. We'd love to hear from you. Who are you? Why are you here? What's your passion? Dean, welcome. Hey, everyone. Uh, Dean Stiles uh, here. I, I've been at SAP now for coming up to seven years. Um, my current role at SAP is I'm in the uh, global product management group. So my focus is on SAP commodity solutions. But overall, about 20 plus years in this uh, uh, wonderful commodity management space, um, um, working with companies all over the globe on various commodity types from energy to agri to metals and mining chemicals. Uh, quite a diverse uh, a group of companies that I've worked with. So um, my uh, my background is I, I've been in sales, I've been in marketing, I've been in uh, uh, product management now, and it's um, yeah, a wonderful space to be in. Uh, grew up in Calgary, so this background that uh, people won't see right now, but perhaps on the video, uh, I grew up outside Calgary, but now I'm just outside of uh, New York City and uh, a dual citizen between Canada and the United States now, so um, I have that golden ticket. Um, but uh, I get to work with uh, all kinds of uh, uh, companies and partners. Uh, that's also part of my purview. I do a lot of customer advisory. Um, so it's a wonderful space to be in, and I look forward to chatting about it today. Thank you very much, Dean. Sounds exciting. And where can I ask where, what part of outside New York City you are right now? I actually live in Southern Connecticut. Uh, my okay. office is in uh, in Manhattan. Oh my, oh my goodness. So you're seeing the return of people to the big city, to the Big Apple, right? For better almost, or worse, yes. Almost post-COVID, yes, we hope, crossing fingers. Thank you very much. Welcome again. Let's hear from Trent Gall. Trent, we're so happy to have you here, another Deloitte specialist with us. Go ahead, introduce yourself, please. Happy to be here, Bonnie, and uh, thanks very much. And Dean and Sam, great to see you again. And and Dean, I was going to comment on your background because I am sitting in Calgary right now. So uh, we're recognizing <laughs> the Rocky Mountains there. So love to see them. And I, I think I need a, a Rocky Mountain background. So happy to be here uh, today. So uh, as Bonnie said, Trent Gall, I'm the National Practice Leader for our Treasury and Commodity Risk Practice here with Deloitte uh, Canada. Uh, so focuses on the Canadian marketplace. Uh, been in the business. I'm, I'm feeling like a grandfather and I don't want to be a grandfather yet. Uh, about 30 years. So really started in this industry back in when Order 636 opened up the natural gas market uh, and have continued since then as, as trading and, and marketing has evolved over that time. Uh, originally started in application development and like Sam, uh, served a variety of clients, uh, both here in Canada, but internationally as well. So it's, it's interesting to see how different companies uh, approach the situation and, and certainly the vendor marketplace and how it's evolved over that time. So looking forward to our discussion today. It should be great. Thank you, Trent. Thanks for the comment on the background there. I don't hear a Canadian accent from anybody. Don't know you. Is there usually a word or two, a twang or a the way an A is pronounced that's Canadian? I'm I'm not hearing it. I think you're all just really global. We're, we're not talking about the roof. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's get to our opening quotes. If a listener and a viewer is new to the show, I've asked my guests in advance to send me a quote from a fictional movie or TV character. You may or may not recognize the character of the source, but I will explain it briefly. Or from a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic, and they're going to relate it to the topic in their own words. So you got to listen up. You might, you might hear about a movie. You want to see a TV show you need to put on your DVR or stream or a song you have to go hear right away after the show. So let's go to Sam Stuckey. He picked an iconic quote. This is actually, I believe, one of the most iconic quotes in movie history, and it was ad-libbed by the actor Roy Scheider. The movie, of course, is da 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 you got to help me out here. I'm not going to sing, Sam, just hum. The movie was Jaws, 1975 American. It's called A Natural horror film, as opposed to, I guess, an unnatural one or an animated one. That's what they said. Chief Martin Brody, played by the actor Roy Scheider, who people often call Schneider. It's Scheider. And here is the quote, you're gonna need a bigger boat. I'll give the background more after you talk. Sam, what does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead. You know, when I was thinking about it, Bonnie, um, if I'm an executive in a commodity-intensive industry, whether that's a producer, a consumer, just someone an intermediary, in, in anyone that deals with commodities, and I spent the last two years weathering COVID, the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, labor shortages, you know, I'm probably at my wit's end. And and I think about Brody in that scene in Jaws when he finally sees the shark for the first time. And, you know, what that brought me to is that's probably how these executives felt when we saw the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the resulting impact on global oil and gas markets and global soft commodity and agricultural markets. And they're just like, what next? Like, and, and when I talk about my inflection point in the, the beginning of our conversation, right? I think there's a renewed appreciation for these executives that they need, quote, a bigger boat, right? They need better capabilities. They need to understand the markets more. And it's no longer an opportunity. It's no longer an option to passively participate. And if you passively participate, um, you're just going to, you know, suffer the repercussions of, of that volatility. So that's that's kind of what it made me think of. And, and I saw the look on his face. And I imagine there are many faces that look like that in uh, February of 2022. <laughs> Very well put. And the uh, direct source was that Scheider was one of many people on the movie set who realized that the producers were a little on the cheap side and they had a, all the equipment on a barge and then they had a support boat and the support boat wasn't big enough to support all the equipment and everything they needed. So somebody said, I think Roy Scheider was the one who said, you're going to need a bigger boat. It stuck. He ad-libbed it many times during the movie and the editor decided in her infinite wisdom not to cut it from the scenes. It is on AFI's top, it's a 35th on the top 100 best movie quotes ever. So there. So I'm glad you picked it. I haven't haven't had that on a show in a long time, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Sam. Let's go to Dean Styles. Dean has picked a quote that's exactly three words. We love the little tiny quotes because they pack a punch. This is from Billy Bean, Oakland A's general manager, played by the one and only Brad Pitt, speaking to Grady Fusen, the Oakland A's head scout, played by Ken Medlock. The movie, of course, Moneyball. 2011 American sports drama film, and here's the quote. I love this. Adapt or die. Dean, talk to us. <laughs> Not like Hollywood to uh, uh, to put too dramatic a quote out there, right? But uh, it, it's really two takeaways uh, from, from that quote. First of all, um, what I take away is that, first of all, change is, is constant, and successful companies adapt, and most do. So how, how does that pertain to in the commodities space? Uh, I come from the system side. So 
back in the day, these systems were wholly focused on the trading and risk components only. And uh, that's what the, that's what uh, that's what I did, and that's what the companies were trying to wrap their heads around systemically. Over time, it's evolved to in, include the entire enterprise, the whole value chain. Um, in the energy industry, it's known as wells to wheels, and in the agri space, farm to table. So whatever you're doing up front as a trader and a risk manager has to uh, organically connect to what else is going on downstream of that. Um, and companies have changed uh, over the last few years to, to accept that. The second component of the quote is the movie's about analytics, right? So uh, in the movie, it's like baseball teams that fail to adapt to analytics are, are going to die, especially those with small payrolls, like the Oakland A's against the mighty Yankees. Um, some would argue today that analytics has killed baseball. That's a separate topic. We, I can come back on a different show and talk about <laughs> analytics and baseball. I'm not a fan of it. However, companies in terms of commodities um, have adapted to analytics and continue to adapt analytics, especially now that uh, we've had so much disruption in the last few years. Uh, analytics is critical to mining the data and making um, the proper business de decisions. And uh, so th th those are the, the two takeaways from the quote. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So apt. And, and you could use that on almost any topic today, right, Dean? Any business topic, adapt or die. Be a laggard. Bye-bye, right? We know how many companies have perished in so many years, even before the pandemic, because they didn't adapt. So good points about Moneyball. Thank you very much. And Mr. Trent Gawla sent us a quote from the old version of Top Gun not the new one that just came out. <laughs> and in this scene, and this was from 1986, action drama film, Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by Tom Cruise, of course, to Lieutenant J.G. Nick Goose Bradshaw, played by Anthony Edwards, who started his acting career, I think, in ER, if any of you remember the, the medical mm. show, Top Gun. And this is an interesting quote, and, and uh, Trent, I can't wait to hear what you do with this one. This is what I call a target-rich environment. Trent, you're up. Go. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I guess, uh, you know, it, how I picked the topic is uh, a few weeks ago, as we were starting to think about planning the show out, uh, I was actually in Cannes in the French Riviera. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Top Gun was going to be the top uh, premiered movie out there. And they had all the decorations out and, uh, and that trying to promote the movie. So I started, you know, thinking about different quotes or topics that I should be thinking of. And, and really what came to me is, is over the years, I think there's always a lot of targets and opportunities in this industry for improvement. Uh, and I think we're going to hear more about that today in the show as well. And it was that target rich environment that struck me as you're looking at, you know, we're looking at SaaS based solutions. Uh, you know, what's the impact of that going to be in the market? How is cloud impacting commodity trading and the opportunities that cloud uh, and the processing capabilities that come along with it? And, and probably a much overused term, but AI and, and, and really machine learning. But to me, that comes down to really how do we better use our data? And so many opportunities in taking advantage of the data, um, if we have data quality and, and data uh, accuracy and what decisions been made from that. So I thought there was a lot of targets, a lot of opportunities for improvement, and that's why it kind of stuck to me. And the fact, I guess I was walking through the French Riviera at the same time. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna say lucky you for being in con at that time. And I've, I've heard from people who've seen the movie that it's fabulous. It does appeal to an older group. And people are saying it has revitalized Tom Cruise's career and the whole idea that an actor can 
resume a role so many decades later and the movie can still grab audiences. Trent, any comment? I, on I actually went last night, surprisingly, for the first time. So maybe I'm behind the curve and going to see it. Highly recommend going to see it. The cinematography is spectacular uh, and what they've done in the movie. Uh, I, I, there's a new quote in there, which I don't think we should use. It's called, uh, don't think, just do. So uh, <laughs> I think we need to do a little bit of thinking and hopefully we'll uh, talk about that over the next uh little while here boning with you and the other top gun quote that guests often use is i and this is it's in the promo for the new one i feel the need the need for speed and <laughs> maverick said it and goose said it and i think it was said many times in the original movie i think it's in the promo for the for the new movie so thank you very much all three of you i appreciate the the effort you put into picking your quotes it really makes the show really pop it gives us a lot of energy so thank you now it's time for the really serious stuff and sam stuckey's going to start off i've asked each of my guests to send me four statements about what they would like to talk about today. I'm picking statement number one from Sam because, as I said, we need to level set on what is commodity trading, which is our topic. Sam's going to talk for about three minutes and explain, lay it out for us, and then I'm going to go around the table. I'll ask Dean if he agrees or disagrees, and Dean, even if you disagree, Say it a little bit. If you agree, we still want to hear more from you. That's what I meant to say. And then, Trent, I'll go to you and ask you to chime in as well. So let's see if we can really let the audience know what in the world is our focus today. Sam Stuckey told me the following. He said, let's level set on what is commodity trading. When many people hear commodity trading, they imagine traders standing in trading pits. There's movies for that, right? Yelling and waving tickets at each other. Well, this is part of it, although the live pit trading has severely reduced in lieu of online transactions. Sam says when he refers to commodity trading, he's referring to managing the flow of commodities within an organization's value chain. I'm going to stop there. Sam, let's relate that to what we're talking about, sparking that evolution. Go ahead. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, like you mentioned in the intro, right? A lot of people think about <clears throat> pit trading because that's what you see in movies. But really, when we talk about it, and I think, I think Dean and, and Trent will probably agree, right? The commodity trading business and the transacting of commodities is a very, very broad-based um, activity. Um, it's really anyone that has material exposure to commodity prices as a part of their core value chain. So, um, you know, the, the ones you always think about, right, are the, um, <clears throat> the oil companies and you think about um, in major agribusiness companies and the major metals companies, but it's also people that might be closer to you and in your life that are still in these markets and participating and need to understand and, and react to these markets. It might be your local utility, right? They're actively buying and selling natural gas. They're actively buying and selling power. It might be um, your grocery store around the corner, right? Especially if they're part of a large natural national chain. And these organizations are constantly look, looking at the cost of their inputs, which are effectively commodities. And they're always trying to understand how do I get better insights? How do I manage commodity volatility? Can I use financial derivatives, like the pit trading uh, example, uh, to help manage this? And um, it's it's a continual cycle of you know seeking to understand how the the changes in commodity prices affect your core business, um, and then making decisions and going out into the markets, right, the, the physical and financial markets, and and transacting on those. Um, and one more thing to clarify, I think, because I, I mentioned it now on the call, is is there are physical and financial markets. Um, the physical market is, um, say I'm a, say I'm the the gas station or convenience store around the corner, right? And I'm buying a lot of fuel, right? You think of the the pit trading, the paper trading. That's not going to get fuel to my my store, right? That's not going to get fuel to my store. I need to go out and I need to transact with a refinery or with a third an oil company or with a third party uh, counterparty to actually get physical 
gasoline and physical diesel to my store. Um, now I may use financial derivatives and go out into the market and transact in those to help offset the cost or hedge or create some price certainty around the purchases I'm going to have to make in the physical market. But really where I see the big opportunities and where I spend a lot of my time is with those organizations that have links to the true physical, tangible assets. So Thank I'll pause you. there and let Dean and, Dean and uh, Trent land. Yeah, let's see what they have to say. Dean, why don't you chime in here? I'm not even going to say or disagree or agree. Just add, <laughs> add what you want to say on it. Let's keep this one very neutral. Go ahead, Dean. No, it's, it's um, it, it, obviously I totally agree with what Sam said. It's it's an evolving market. And um, I think I alluded to this in, in, in my opening that um, it, it used to be a world of just the, the trading and risk, right? And so what is commodity trading now? It, it's, it's an organic process that touches all elements of the enterprise. Um, uh, so even though the, the traders out there are doing their magic, and the risk people are making sure the traders are behaving. You've got all these people now involved in the logistics side of the equation and the managing the physical side of the business uh, who are uh, impacting the quality of, of these commodities and, and uh, dealing with penalties and incentives. And, and then the back office people are obviously managing the, the invoicing and the settlement and, and managing all the cash flows. Um, before it used to be siloed, and now uh, it's it's very much an end-to-end an -end process, or as Trent would say, process. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it continues to evolve uh, uh, to being even more so. And uh, the from the systems uh, uh, standpoint to support this this process it's become about the challenge of um, eliminating multiple systems, eliminating um, uh, multiple interfaces where possible so that you have everybody throughout the organization all singing from the same song sheet. And that is a major, major challenge. Um, but uh, when, I, when I started, it was ETRM, right? Energy Trading and Risk Management. And then it turned into Commodity Management. And that, that's, the, that's the, uh, uh, the label that's applied to this this whole concept that Sam introduced. Thank you very much. Let's add the voice of Mr. Trent Gall to the conversation. Trent, what do you think? Add to it, please. Yeah, and, and I'll pick up on uh, what Dean was saying there around the evolution. I guess I'm a little bit older because for, for me, it started with, uh, as Dean says, risk management, and it really started in the banks. And you saw that evolve into energy companies. And as Dean says now, you see it in commodity companies. So we've seen the techniques that were originally used in banks to manage risk moved to energy companies to manage risk, and then has moved to the commodity or consumer business. And, and that includes companies like uh, consumer business, you may not think of like companies like Heineken, uh, or anybody that's a big user of uh, you know natural gas or aluminum in their product set. Uh, there's lots of volatility in their input costs, but not much volatility in the products that they're selling. So how do they manage that risk profile? But it's become much more than risk, as Dean says. And, and I don't know how many times I walk into an organization, and they say, Trent, I don't know why you're here, we don't trade. Because uh, trading's a bad word now, really, since the Enron days, but people really do, whether you're marketing your product, uh, whether you've got a transportation contract that you have the opportunity to optimize, commodity management covers that entire spectrum now. And that's, it's not about trading. It's not only about risk management. It is that end-to-end -end, uh, life cycle, as, as Dean talked to. Thank you very much. Sam, this is your topic. Anything you'd like to say back to your two esteemed colleagues on the panel? No, I, th I think those are great summaries and, and great ads, Bonnie. I, I, I fully agree. 
Thank you very much. Good level set all. Let's go to Dean Styles. Dean, I picked statement number two from you because there's some ideas in here that we haven't quite covered yet. You say the value chain for commodity management in oil, agriculture, and I learned today that you're calling it AGRA. You're all calling it A-G-R-I. That's new to me. Oil, AGRA, hmm? mining, consumer products, and others is a complicated workflow. Oftentimes, it is further complicated through multiple systems addressing the challenge dozens of bilateral interfaces to the back-end system of record. I'm going to stop there. Dean, why don't you expand this and then unpack it for us, and then we'll go around the table. Trent, you will comment first, and then Sam will wrap this one up. Go ahead, Dean. So the uh, it, it is a very complicated uh, process that um, starts with the simple ability to capture a deal. Um, every uh, every commodity has a set of nuances that requires a, uh, a, a very sophisticated deal capture mechanism that uh, captures all the nuances of that particular commodity, the quality, the the grades, the uh, as I said before, penalties, incentives, and and that unto itself is is uh, used to be its own system, uh, and still is with some companies. Um, handing those deals off to the risk management uh, modules or or the the office for them to assess any potential exposures or, or uh, potential disasters, uh, doing your P&L reports, doing your attribution reports to make sure you understand not only why your P&L changed, but uh, who changed it and was it a mistake and can it be corrected? I've talked earlier before about the logistics portion of commodity management now where you're sending these physical commodities from A to B to C to D, sometimes on a global scale with multiple modes of transport, each with its own set of challenges. Um, and finally, uh, once uh, these, uh, these uh, deals are actualized and we follow the whole trail of those commodities, did they settle and what changes need to be happened at settlement so that cash flows are properly managed? So if you're an organization and you have different systems for each step along the way, those systems do need to talk to each other. Uh, I was on a project recently where we found out there had to be uh, upwards of 40 different bilateral handshakes between these systems. As a result, you end up with multiple versions of the truth, uh, people waiting for what happened yesterday so I can make a decision today. And um, it, it, this, this latent data can lead to questionable business decisions. And, it, and it's, uh, we have many examples of that. So I think the challenge is, and there are solutions out there now that can bring uh, a much more um, organic, holistic approach mm -hmm. to your the management of these commodity types and making sure that when somebody clicks on a report that everybody sees the same data at the same time so you eliminate the element of surprise, which is the goal of any, any uh, risk system. Thank you, Dean. I'm hearing when you're describing it with the 40 bilateral handshakes, I'm hearing confusion. I'm hearing chaos. I'm hearing what the heck do we do and who said what to whom and who knows more than the other person and where the heck should we go with this? So just, just to put it in, in lay terms, my response, let's go around the table. Trent Gall, agree, or now I'm going to say agree or disagree with Dean Stiles. Go ahead, Trent. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Dean. And I don't know how often that happens between the two of us. So <laughs> I'm keeping score. <laughs> Dean and I go back quite a ways. He's been in the industry for I a long tell. time. So good friends. So uh, um, I, I absolutely think he, the points are 100% accurate. I think the one uh, also big piece you missed, Dean, was XL. 
um, and yeah. manual desktop processes uh, still are predominant in this space. And I think, you know, I long learned that as an IT professional, I'm not going to walk into the trading or the risk organization and say, I'm going to get rid of your Excel because um, they'd throw me out and never listen to another thing I said. I think Excel has a place, uh, but it's not a system of record and shouldn't be used for that. And, and fortunately, um, it still is. Uh, and that adds to the complexity. And the fact that you also have dispersed system is the processes don't necessarily, uh, people is everybody's trying to get their job done and get the invoice out on time, for example, out of the back office. And then they find an error. What really should happen is you go back and fix it at source. And what tends to happen is people will fix it where they need to fix it to get their job done and get it out. So now you've got data discrepancies between what's in some of the back office systems and what's in some of your front office systems, adding to that complexity, adding to that data quality issues and inability to, to access that data. And again, one of my targets is how, you know, being able to address that. And there are, you know, absolutely opportunities both within the technology foundation as well as really combining that with your business processes and associated controls uh, that can fix some of the the issues we're seeing today and and that have unfortunately as an IT professional um, been here for quite some time in the environment. Thank you very much. Glad to hear about the camaraderie between you and Dean. Let's get, and I heard process. I heard that word. You, you, you just <laughs> slipped out. So I feel better now. I know, know I'm dealing with Sam Stuckey. Join us. Agree or disagree with anything or everything the two gentlemen said. Go ahead. I, I agree with, I agree with both my colleagues here. I think, I think what I'll add to that <laughs> is um, maybe harping back to your, your Top Gun quote, Bonnie, around the need for speed. Um, you know, this is a massively complex system. Right. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, right, if you're a trading organization or someone that is active in the markets, what you need at your fingertips is to understand where you stand, what you bought, what you sold, you know, whether you're short or whether you're long. Um, and that ability to understand that on a timely basis is a true commercial competitive advantage for these organizations. And that's why you see companies investing millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars in developing straight through processing, the ability to produce mm -hmm. analytics and reporting like that to get that competitive edge because it is material and, and the, the winners in the next generation of commodity centric organizations will have those capabilities. Thank you very much. Let's go back to Dean. Thoughts about what your colleagues added? Uh, it, it's all it's all good additional, but Trent brings up a great point about the need for Excel spreadsheets. And of course, those were born out of the fact that the systems weren't accomplishing what people needed to see at that time. So it absolutely it, it, it created this need for these spreadsheets. And I think you'll see today that even though these systems have become very advanced and, and much less cumbersome, uh, spreadsheets will will always be, in my opinion, part of the equation. And I think the good systems out there embrace that as opposed to trying to eliminate it. Uh, people need that special, that secret sauce for how they do their business each day. And uh, oftentimes that does require the flexibility of spreadsheets. So it's a, it's a, it's a good point. There's something about rows and columns, isn't there? Seeing the visual, I'm, I'm serious. I have Slicing friends, and dicing. Yeah. I have friends who still do and use spreadsheets for their home, but their house budget. They did. I gotta go home and make a spreadsheet. We just bought shoes. Uh, but, but seriously, and I have a, a show I produce and host for SAP called Financial Excellence with Game Changers. And we've been talking, they're with me for 11 years now. We're in 11th season. And we've been talking for years about 
no longer are finance professionals the people with the eye shades and the green banker's lamp sitting in the basement somewhere looking at spreadsheets from three to six to 12 to 18 months ago, looking over their shoulder in the rearview mirror saying, let's see what we did. Now they're supposed to be looking forward and using analytics and using predictive to say, where should the business be going? Where can we be going? So big debate about spreadsheets, but yes, people still use them. Thank you very much. I'm going to go to Trent Gall's statement number two. There's some interesting, interesting meat on the bones in here, Trent. Let me read a little bit and ask you to expand it. Then we'll see what Sam and then Dean have to say. We're ahead of schedule, gentlemen, so I'm going to use even more of your statement. So get ready. So here's what Trent said. Digital transformation is forming is forcing commodity-based companies, energy and agri, to redefine the definition of assets within the organization. Unlike the financial service and consumer business industries, who over the last 10 years have invested heavily in data, commodity-based companies typically were not viewing data as asset. The assets were reservoirs, equipment, land. I'm going to stop there. Very interesting. Trent, talk to us, please. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. And uh, I guess with roots from uh, from technology, and I certainly evolved from, uh, I certainly can't code or develop anymore. But I guess, you know, from a technology perspective, we've always been digital. So the digital transformation from an IT perspective, um, I, I think, you know, some, some CIOs will say, well, we've always been digital. I think where the big shift is here is that what, what technology is now available, how we can take advantage of it. And that's really the organization now thinking digital. And if you think of where you can get data, sources of data and how you can leverage that, that's really the transformation we're seeing uh, is, is a business digital transformation rather than necessarily a technology transformation. The technology has evolved. One of the things that, you know, we were, when we started at Deloitte 20 years ago, this commodity management practice was a spinoff of coming out of the financial services. And financial services has always spent a ton of money on technology because what they realized is data was their asset. So if you look at financial trading, stocks and bonds and all that aspect, it it was hard to get business cases for commodity management through um, energy companies or even um, agricultural companies because the spending or the return on investment really didn't have a strong ROI. It was risk avoidance at the time. And you're trying to, how do you put a, how do you put a value on avoiding some event that may or may not happen? And that's really what these systems, as Dean says, originally they were all about risk. Um, and, and, and data wasn't considered an asset. As, as you said in the comments there, the reservoirs were. They invested in the reservoir data, and that was probably the only data that they spent, if you're an energy company, they spent any time on investing in, and the rest um, uh, was ignored. And with all the data that is now available in the organization, you are now seeing that investment come in technology and in data in energy companies that financial services have done for years. And it's a great thing for commodity companies. It's a great thing for the energy and resource companies to see that because it, it will enhance the value proposition across that commodity transacting life cycle. If you can pull meter data, if you can spot trends in your data that you realize that if weather gets above a certain temperature, um, electricity plants will cut out and you have a have that advantage, you can take arb opportunities or uh, take advantage of that market and add value and make money. So that's where I'm seeing this investment in data, the shift in mindset is starting to change the spending and the investment in commodity management. And you're seeing, because it's looking at the entire value chain, much more value and advantages coming forward. Change in mindset. Is this an aha moment, Trent? Are they saying, aha, we have to think differently now? Is this something that's happening to leaders in this area? 
Uh, I, I certainly think so. And I'll give an example. I was uh, in a workshop just this week with 13 senior executives and, and most of the conversation was around data and putting an investment in data. And uh, this was the C-suite uh, and they were all aligned on that. And I do think it's a mind shift change. And they all agreed that, yes, we have to invest in that. And here's how it's going to help our business. If we can see from, as, as Dean said, from the, the wellhead up to the wheels or up to the burner tip or whatever that definition of your supply chain is. Uh, absolutely, in my opinion, I've seen them at shifting. Thank you very much. And willing to invest. That's the key thing. Yes. But, but, well, first comes from here and then it comes from here, from the wallet, right? Mm -hmm. Et cetera. The budget, the spreadsheet budget. Sam Stuckey, you're right now sitting virtually next to Mr. Gall. So why don't you take this up? Agree or disagree? Go ahead, Sam. Um, I do. I do agree, Bonnie. I mean, I think there's there's kind of two points I'd want to add to what Trent mentioned. I mean, I think the first is that organizations in the um, in the metals and mining, energy, agriculture space, they spent the really the last decade and probably the next day decade seeking to digitize their value chain and digitize their supply chain. And now comes the real opportunity, right? Like digitizing doesn't have any necessarily intrinsic value. The value you get is out of the information and the data that it produces. And now that they've digitized, they are getting very, very rich data. <clears throat> They're starting to bring it together. And through bringing it together, they can get insights, you know, what, what we call exponential insights into their you know, operations and into their positioning in the marketplace. And so I think, again, what we're seeing in the market is that these companies, after this heavy investment, in infrastructure and digitization, now they're looking at the data because now they have it. Now they're trying to figure out how do I glean insights? How do I commercialize this information um, to get my return on investment for those infrastructure updates that I made? I think that's one piece. The other piece I want to add is the consideration of bringing together what were formerly disparate data sets to support decision making. So Trent, you mentioned the um, the meter data, if you're making decisions on gas or power trading, right? Like how do you connect that information to give you insights that you just couldn't have had before because you couldn't get it together on a timely basis. You're, you're looking in the rearview mirror a month ago, right? You can't make a, a decision now on last month's meter data. Like you need it now. Um, you know, you hear about in the oil markets um, or the agribusiness market, people using drones to look at ship levels, look at field crop rows, things like this to start to pull together this information that before would have been just impossible to get on a timely basis. Um, but now as we look at the technology available to organizations, and as I mentioned, the digitization of the supply chain, um, it's a whole new world of data and, and bringing it together and, and developing those insights so that people have it at their fingertips to make decisions on is, is a real uh, differentiator. Indeed it is. Let's go to Dean Stiles. Dean, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both, you're up. Well, I believe that we have uh, all three of us are pulling on the same side of the rope here. So um, the, the challenge of going third is when you have very two articulate guys going before you, uh, you just tend to agree. Um, but uh, overall, the, the concept is absolutely true. Although I, I feel like I've been saying this for 20 years, that data is essential and data is critical. But Trent is absolutely right. The focus has been more on the, um, uh, the more legacy uh, fiscal type side of the business. Um, so it's not only the fact that data is the footprint of every company, data informs your future. It, it collects it, 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 it captures what's happened historically, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and it informs how you're gonna go in the next, uh, the next day, the week, and, and, and years ahead of time. So um, it's, uh, uh, I think that the second component there, of course, is the speed in which that data is mined. Which, uh, which has always been 
practically impossible because the technology wasn't there, the pipeline wasn't there to, to harvest this data. And now it is. And uh, it, there's a number of factors that play into that. The hardware is essential and it's become uh, incredibly more powerful. The in-memory database technology is incredible. Um, and the fact that cloud solutions now are making it not only um, uh, more widely distributed, but also taking advantage of much more powerful servers through the hyperscalers. Uh, people like Amazon and Google and Microsoft with their fantastic uh, 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 server technology and cloud technology. So that's the only thing I would, would add is that it's, it's fantastic to have all this data. The challenge has been how to mine it. And now we have the speed to, to make that happen uh, in a much more meaningful way than we did even a couple of years ago. Thank you, Dean. Trent, good topic. Yeah, Anything Dean, you those want are, to add? Yeah, yeah, Dean, those are great points. I actually wrote down need for speed as Sam was talking and you started your speech. So I'm glad you came back with that because it really is the capabilities now where, you know, we used to hope for, a, uh, you know, a monthly cycle. We moved to daily and now the ability to process, uh, you know, substantially more data in a short period of time is, uh, you know, really advancing this. Um, the only, you know, the last thing I would add from a closing point is, mm -hmm. is, and, and why I say there's an investment in data coming too. So it's not only in spending on the technology and the hardware and the equipment, we also are now seeing chief data officers uh, as part of the organization. So that really does say that master data management mm -hmm. uh, and that is becoming really important and it's being recognized um, uh, across the various organizations. And that's a huge step forward because you know we never even used to have a CIO with a seat at the table and now you got a CIO and a chief data officer sitting at the executive tables. Thank you for bringing that up, Trent. I was going to ask, and I don't usually ask questions, but this popped up. We talk about analyzing the data, keeping your finger on the tap of the data coming in and doing it fast, the need for speed. Who? Whose job is this? What is the skill set you need to be that chief data officer, CIO at the table? We're talking about risk management, commodity trading here. Who will be hired into those positions? What do they need? They need computer background. Do they need analytics background? How do you know that you've got the right people who can A, keep pace, and B, do the right thing with the data? It's data. There, <laughs> there, there are biases. I'm sorry, but it's, it's you. Three people see something, see the accident. It's all different reporting. I, so just to put it on a very human level. So if we could just go around the table for a second, and I have a, a next statement queued up for Sam in the chat for after we're done with this, but who are the people who will fill this role and do it well for what we're talking about today, commodity trading? Trent, since you brought it up, let me start with you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure it's one person. I I, I think you know it's 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 going to be an organizational accountability. And if I look at you know skill sets you're seeing hired is data scientists okay. are being hired in the organization. I think it is a combination. I, I, it frustrates me when people talk about this as an IT project or a business project. Is mm -hmm. those barriers? It's it's two silos again that's set up, and it should be. It's it's an organizational related product, and you need business domain expertise. You need that combined with the data scientists, and to get started, you need to take um, what I would say an agile approach, where you know you're building um, and showing people what the capabilities are, and the ideas with the business will flow. Going, oh, if I can do that. Could you give me this? Or they could visualize it. Because the problem if you're starting with a blank page or back in the days when we're building data warehouses or data lakes, um, people couldn't visualize what that is. So if you can build prototypes, you can build um, examples, the ideas that the business have on what's going to help them manage the activities um, start flowing left, right, and center. 
Thank you. Sounds like you need to get some excitement into the process. That's what I hear you saying. Excitement, <laughs> anticipation. I can do something. I can make a difference. Sam, thoughts on, on who are these people, data scientists and Sam? Yeah, I'll, I'll add to what Trent was saying, right? I mean, he was, he was looking at it very much from kind of a providing the data standpoint. So maybe I'll take it from a different angle of who's mm -hmm. the consumer of the data and what does the future consumer of this data look like? And um, it looks different from the past, right? If we look at, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, many organizations are making decisions based on canned reports. They get a report, you print it out sometimes, literally print it out, and that's what you have, and that's your information. Um, expectations of the new front office people, the new commercial organization, is that these people are data and analytics savvy, and they have the ability to take that data that is served to them and glean their own insights and make their own decisions off of that information. Um, and that requires the ability to understand analytics. It requires the ability to have a to be conversant in data and data structures. And again, I think the people that can do that are, are teed up for success in this in this new paradigm. Thank you very much, Dean Stiles. Thoughts on the people? What do you think? Uh, just I, I agree with Sam there. The the data officers that I've ran into are definitely uh, from the analytics side of that the house. They're not hardware people. They're not your traditional uh, CIO type role. And one thing I've noticed about the chief data officer role is that it's often across industrial. So. If you're talking to an oil company throughout the organization, typically the people you're dealing with have decades of experience in that industry. This new role around the chief data officer, they're hiring people from outside their own industry because data is its own animal and they're looking for new insights on how to, on how to work with that data. So somebody, um, for instance, I was at a, a chemicals company and they just hired somebody from an airline to, uh, to, be, uh, to run their, their data office because they just had a, a different perspective. Um, and uh, I think uh, that's an interesting element uh, as uh, with, with the, the chief data officers. Thank you very much. Thank you all for indulging my question. I like to tie, we talk at a high level of we need, companies need, they need, but who are the they? Who are the people who are actually doing this? So thank you. Sam, I've teed up your statement number three. Let's see if we can sneak this in. We've got 10 minutes left, so we're going to keep this brief around the table, maybe two minutes apiece. Sam says, emerging sustainability markets. Listen up. The market expectations for, uh, and Dean is nodding, the market expectations for sustainability product trading are massive but highly varied. Carbon credits are, of course, the headliner of the product lineup. I'm going to stop there and let you share it and unpack it. Sam, take three minutes and then two minutes each for the gentleman to comment. Go ahead, Sam. Perfect. Thank you, Bonnie. Yes, I mean, sustainability products are, are absolutely the, the letter of the day um, in the commodity space. I mean, you, you see increased um, increased focus on this. You look at the, the you know, non-government organizations, corporations, everyone's talking about sustainability and we could, we could talk for two hours on ESG just today, right? So I'm going to narrow it down um, and maybe focus our conversation today around carbon credits and, and what's going on in the marketplace there, because um, there's a lot of talk um, and companies are trying to figure it out. So, you know, maybe we take a bit of a case study. Let's say that I am the CEO of an airline and I'm trying to understand, you know, I've made a commitment, my, my board has made a commitment that we're going to, you know, decrease our emissions by 30%, 40% over the next 10 years. So what decisions am I facing, right? What, what factors am I facing to help navigate accomplishment of that goal. So it really it comes in two facets. The first facet is external considerations and the other facet is internal con considerations. So external considerations are pretty significant. Um, it, it is a bit of a wild west right now in the carbon markets. Um, there's very little standardization in products. 
there's very little um, standardization and clarity from a regulatory standpoint. And even from an accounting standpoint, those standards are still evolving, right? So what are these things worth? How do I account for them? Where do I send on my balance sheet? Um, are these liabilities? Are my emissions liabilities? So all of these things are kind of going through what I'll call external codification. And then even once that stabilizes and I get a view of, okay, this is the market I'm now participating in and I get clarity, I have my own internal challenges, right? So this is net new, nobody's done this. So in my organization, where does this sit? How do I, who is responsible for understanding my emissions? Who's responsible for understanding how I'm making the decision around how am I going to abate those? Do I use credits? Do I use internal abatement? Do I use reduction? Um, how do I set up processes? How do I set up technologies to count, you know, account for these things and monitor my position? Um, the questions are just massive and, and there's a lot to unpack there. And so, you know, what we're seeing in the market is organizations seeking to, you know, look to find define consortiums, rulemaking bodies. Um, but I think the name of the game is getting to standardization and then having organizations be able to keep their capabilities in lockstep with that standardization as it evolves. So I'll pause there, probably more than three minutes. But. Thank you. No, it's fine. That's what I want you to lay it out. So let's go around the table. Dean Styles, two minutes. Thoughts, please? It's it's a huge topic, Bonnie. I'm so glad we got we had time for it today, yes. but we don't have time for it. <laughs> well, there's Hopefully a part, part two in your future then, okay? Let, let's do that. Um, I'm going to boil it down to what's going on um, in terms of the energy industry, because there's a an energy transition happening and all the major integrated companies out there are have been thinking about this for a couple of years. Uh, even though the demand for uh, fossil fuels is not going to abate anytime soon. And we're still talking about 2050, where the demand for fossil fuels will still be increasing. Uh, the carbon intensity, however, of that supply will definitely be decreasing. Um, companies uh, out there that have uh, heavy refining assets and have got these, these legacy assets of pulling oil out of the ground and, and taking it to market. Um, I don't know what the percentage is per company, but the dramatic, there's a dramatic reduction in revenue predicted uh, based on the legacy fossil fuels industry 30 years from now. In some cases, I've heard companies say 50% of our revenue is going to be allocated in a different space. That different space is the new energy. It's hydrogen, it's uh, renewables, uh, it's energy services that they currently don't offer. Um, an example of that would be direct air capture for refineries that uh, some of these oil companies are now gonna be offering hardware and the ability to capture uh, the, the carbon uh, emissions and solidifying those and putting them into storage as part of that whole carbon credit uh, workflow that Sam tucked on, uh, touched on. So it, it's, it's an exciting change happening in energy. It, it'll be good for everybody. Uh, the revenue model will change. And uh, that is encompassing a lot of my time right now mm. uh, where, where I work that uh, companies are asking us for solutions here and the collaboration we're doing on it is very exciting, including with partners like Deloitte. Exciting, exciting, exciting. I heard you. Trent, you get to wrap this up. Two minutes. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I uh, absolutely agree is, is uh, we don't have time to cover all the topic today, but it's, it's a great uh, touch uh, starting point to have that conversation because it is mm -hmm. top of mind across every organization. As Dean says, it's certainly for the energy and resource sector, it is changing business models, changing thinking, and uh, what's going to be important going forward. I think if we tie it back, one of the keys to this whole um, area is going to be access to data again. We come back to that, that data level is, you know, what emissions, if you're an emission producer, what emissions do I have? If you've got, um, you know, carbon capture capabilities, what do I have available to sell? Um, so, you know, it comes back to that data and visibility across the organization of that sustainability um, life cycle, because uh, there isn't a life cycle across sustainability. So, again, it comes back to data. What And, and if we talk about solutions here, what solutions are going to make that available and how do you see that across that entire supply chain and your life cycle? So that's going to be key. Another piece I guess I'll bring in, and it's my side hat, is I also lead treasury capabilities, is there's a risk profile here. If we come back to the, the R in it is, you know, companies are starting to evaluate uh, what happens to our financing if, uh, if someone pulls financing based on sustainability. So there's a, a risk profile being looked at as well. So now you're combining treasury with sustainability. Uh, so it's all interrelated across the business process and uh, clearly more to come and more evolving uh, every day, every week, every month here in this sector. Thank you. Every second, every minute, every nanosecond. There we go. Thank you very much. Sam, thank you for that uh, statement. Sparked a good conversation around the table. We have to talk to our showrunner about doing a part two based on that. Would you all like to come back for that? Oh, yeah, please. Interesting. Well, if, if the Kinetic Enterprise doesn't do it, I have a show called Technology <laughs> Revolution, the Future of Now, and this could be, and it's all future. It's all future-based, all predictions. This might be a good topic to get you three together, and we'll invite a fourth person. It's a four-panel show, so we'll talk about that. We have about three minutes left. I need about 30 seconds to close and do gratitude to everybody. Let's go around the table. Oh, three minutes. Thank you, Gabe. Just got it in the chat here. So let's, yeah, I'm, I'm prescient. I also have a clock here. So uh, let's go around the table real fast. If we met again one year from today on this same topic today, commodity trading and risk management and systems and silos and data and analytics and the right people people in the right place in the right time and data, data, data. Would we still be talking about this? Yes or no? And one sentence to embellish that. Sam Stuckey, go. We would be talking about it for sure. The lens would be different. Go ahead. Two sentences add to the lens. <laughs> would it be different? I'm, I'm watching the clock. Go ahead. All right. every, every year we talk about this, there's always different, eco, different things happening in the ecosystem. It's a different war. It's a different drought. It's a different you know, government policy. So the reasons change. But the factors about data, need for speed, the ability to execute will always be the same. Thank you. Dean Stiles, go. We will be talking about it for a long time to come. Um, I think what we'll be talking about uh, is, uh, as we go forward is continues to be volatility. I don't think anybody can predict what's going mm -hmm. to happen in the next year any better than they could have predicted what happened in the last two years. Uh, there's so many global factors on, uh, that are impacting commodity prices right now, um, and nobody had models for mm -hmm. how to predict what would happen right now. Um, so I think there's a lot of learning going on right now. I think perhaps a year from now, everybody will be wiser and perhaps better prepared, but not entirely. Live and learn and live and learn and live and learn. Trent, you get the last word. One sentence. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we'll be talking about this and continuing to talk talk through this. I think both Sam and Dean made, made excellent points on the topic. Uh, 
I guess if I dreamed, we'd be uh, talking about uh, some uh, revolutionary dashboard that uh, brings data together and, and helps with this, the, the visibility of, of key topics. But absolutely, we're talking about it um, and the market continues to evolve and volatility often equals money, uh, whether that's up or whether it's down. So where there's volatility, people are always going to be talking about it and, and working on it. Thank you. I want to thank my three very special guests today, Sam Stuckey, Dean Stiles, Trent Gall. I'm impressed. You're all very clear thinkers, very articulate expressors of what your expertise is, what your insights are, what your specialties are. And I'm impressed with the passion and the energy. And I know that our listeners will be as well. I want to do, of course, a shout out to our showrunner, Hasmin. I get to call her Hasmin. She says, that's the right whatever calls her Jasmine. Hasmin <laughs> Bolanos, thank you very much. And Rick Rivich from Deloitte is here in the background. Rick, uh, rumor has it you've really enjoyed watching the show. And Brandy Boyce, who works with Hasmin as well. And thank you to Gabe, our engineer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another really, really interesting episode. I learned so much of the Kinetic enterprise. We've been talking about sparking, and we did spark a lot of ideas here, sparking an evolution in commodity trading and risk. Signing off, bye-bye, Voice America. Everybody wave goodbye to the business audience. Gabe, are we out? Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.